Hey everybody, it's Dominic. I wanted just to take a moment to introduce you to the newest partner to the podcast, and that is StopboxUSA.com. StopboxUSA.com is a phenomenal site for you to go check out, especially if you own a firearm or you know someone who does. Uh, what is a stopbox? It, it's a portable, instant access handgun retention device that does not use any batteries and, uh, or electronics or you don't have to fumble around with external keys. And, and what it does is it helps you secure your firearm without sacrificing any accessibility when you need it most. And so if you have a firearm or maybe you know someone who does and it's getting to be Christmas time, go right now to StopboxUSA.com and check out the full line of firearm products. And make sure whenever you go to the checkout, put in the promo code GATHER, that's G-A-T-H-E-R, in the promo code spot to get an additional discount at stopboxusa.com. Enjoy the show. What's up, everybody? You're listening to the Here's the Deal podcast. My name is Dominic Kendall, and like always, I'm joined by my friend and my co-host, Lucas Dale Elizabeth Reverend Chris. Man, how are you? Doing good, brother. How about you? Doing well. Doing well. Um, now, you, listen, you are a reverend now. You uh, you just got ordained not too long ago. That I did. I, I still, uh, I wonder where the reverend started, why that's the uh, preferred title of the ordained men of the world, or at least in the Southern Baptist world. Uh, I don't know. Um, There's probably something in uh, Baptist history about that. I'm not sure. Maybe. Or just a made-up title by somebody. It's probably more funny. likely. And so it's probably a curse at one point, and, <laughs> uh, and now it's become something of an endearing term. Uh, question I think really everybody's wondering, what's your favorite West Wing episode? Ooh, that's tough. You okay. know, I just finished last night uh, for the third time through, which is not much compared to – uh, maybe you and your family. Um, favorite West Wing episode? I'll tell you. I would have to say Twenty Hours in America. I can't remember if it's part one or part two. You know when they're lost in? Uh, is it Iowa? Yeah, they're in Idaho. Iowa. It was. It was in Iowa. Yeah, and they're lost. And uh, my <laughs> favorite part to me is uh, Toby and Josh are walking the around bed. trying to find a ride. <clears throat> Yeah, and they're in the bed of the truck, and then they they're at this gas station, and they're throwing rocks at that uh at that bucket. Yeah, and they say first one to miss has to announce every t- to every person, "Hey, my name's blank, and I work at the White House." And of course, they're in a deep red state, so every time they say that, it just frustrates whoever they're talking to, yeah. and it is hilarious. That's one you know for funny reasons, but uh, there's other just for some I don't know weighty. Yeah, weighty episodes like the very last one called Tomorrow. Yeah, man, good stuff. I I love I love. I'll tell you ones I hate. I do not okay. watch the Long Goodbye with CJ's dad. Don't like mm. it. Don't like yeah. it. Hate it. That one's emotional. Um, I do love, however, the ones that have. Uh, I do love the ones that have. Um, like when he gets shot. Love the ones where he gets shot. That's kind That's of dark, but dark. I love it. And also when he yells in the cathedral. Um. Yeah, and he talks in Latin a lot, and so what about in when he's in China and he yells, "I can't do the job." Oh, and he beats Look his legs. Me. Look at me, yeah. Abby. I can't do it. Just well, speaking of actor, 
Speaking of going to countries that need to be revitalized, on today's episode, I uh, think China's we, doing okay. Well, have you ever heard of Wuhan? Um, anyways, <laughs> and so on today's episode, we actually have a very special guest um, who knows a thing or two about revitalization and and church planning and all of that kind of good stuff. Um, we are excited to have not only uh, Pastor Chris Kendall, who's just a, a local pastor here in East Tennessee, but also my second oldest brother. And so, uh, Pastor Chris, how are you? I'm doing great, Dominic. Um, so you are my second oldest brother, and um, uh, you are also the pastor of Oak City Baptist Church located in Seymour, Tennessee, um, a bustling metropolis. Um, <laughs> and uh, and so that's wonderful. And so a couple things. One, what do you do here? You are the senior pastor, but you are also um, not just an established church that's been around for forever, but you did something very specific when it came to uh, coming to Oak City. Tell us a little bit about your journey, how you, um, you know, coming here, landing here, and kind of the process of you becoming the senior pastor of this church in this specific area. Well, Dominic, before we dive into the particulars of that, I just want to make it clear that I was the youngest in the family for nearly a decade. And then the, you can't see the air quotes, but they're there. The miracle baby was gifted to the family, (laughs) and and it ruined my youngest status. And then all of a sudden... From out of the heavens, the cheers begin to make, make their way out. <laughs> descended like a dime. That is not how I remember it. Yeah. However, we're thankful you're here on every other day at least. Now, back to the question at hand, how did I land here? Uh, it was a, um, uh, it was, it's an interesting story, longer than we have time for in this podcast. But let's just say my family and I, having planted a church in Atlanta, crash landed back home and was contacted by a church that I now pastor, that I preached at as a teenager. And their pastor was on his way out, and they needed someone to fill the pulpit. And so that really began our most recent connection, and it really blossomed from there into an interim until eventually I became the senior pastor. And you've been here for how many years? Uh, just over seven years. Gotcha. And with that being the case, uh, coming Oak City is a little bit different because it was a church that had just recently endured a, a, a church split, right? And it was a difficult. Yeah, the church was a mess. It was a mess, and so you came in with what is called is really essentially church revitalization. And so, what is church? Because we hear church planting, we hear about those things, but what is church revitalization? There's a lot of different definitions because it's it's a movement now. There are strategies, even with our North American Mission Board, aimed at church revitalization, funding and um, plans and, and ambitions to, to redeem and restore some of these churches that are on the decline. But for me, church revitalization is uh, a prayerful attempt to transition a church from the deathbed to the mission field. And so that was the hope and prayer for Oak City, a church that had established some interesting um, seasons of not just growth, but effectiveness in ministry, but had gone through a difficult season. And my family was in a difficult season. Oak City was in a difficult season. And so it was an unlikely match made for that, that moment. And, uh, but the church was not guaranteed survival. So uh, we were attempting to transition from the deathbed to the mission field. Yeah, that's good. So, Chris, when you first got there, 
you mentioned now that church revitalization is, uh, you know, it's more of a hot thing. It's like you plant a church or you revitalize a church. Um, was it a big topic that was being talked about uh, when you first got there? No, no. And I don't know that we even use that language in the midst of the revitalization season. It yeah. was around churches mm-hmm. were already doing that. The larger churches would come into smaller, declining, established churches to see if they could kick the tires and maybe something would bloom. But yeah. um, no, it wasn't as big as it is today. But I'm thankful that it has flourished in our conversations, but also in uh, our practical application. The churches attempting pastors and families attempting to find these churches that have buildings and locations and low debt and some perhaps life left in the body uh, to see if we could maybe see them uh, with new breath, new life. Yeah, for sure. Uh, So as someone who's been a part of, you know, more well-established churches, uh, healthy churches, whatever that looks like, how is this, how is revitalizing a church different uh, from those other contexts? The similarity between all of them is simple. You're dealing in the currency of people and relationships. Mm. Um, it's just a different kind of hard, and it's really hard to qualify. So church planning, I've said when we were part of church planning in Atlanta, that all pastoring has its weightiness. Mm-hmm. It's hard. Church planning is a different kind of hard. Because you're scrambling to, uh, you know, prayers up, fingers crossed that you don't fail in the starting blocks. Mm. Um, Church establishment has its own set of challenges because oftentimes there's a desire to tweak or change or to turn the ship. And that can be uh, very difficult, slow, grinding, exhausting for a pastor. Church revitalization what makes it a little bit different is you've got to convince uh, whatever collection of people remain that if we do not change, pivot, shift, then our fate is sealed as a local body. And that's mm-hmm. not always bad. It, churches will die. Paul, the greatest church yeah. planner in history, none of his churches existed in the manner in which they were planted uh, a century after he planted them. So every church has a shelf life. And I think for church revitalization, it was convincing of people. Listen, the question for Oak City is not, are we going to live forever? This little local expression has a shelf life. The question is, what are we going to do while we have life? How are we going to maximize these moments that we've still got some breath in our lungs as a local body? And um, that's what makes it a little bit different than entering an established church or church planning. Yeah, that's good. Now, you're basically saying Paul was a bad church planner. <laughs> In so many words, yeah. Yeah, um, don't ever follow anything he said. Um, so, no, I, you know, looking at this, when you're, um, you know, just thoughts of what you're saying and, and kind of coming off that, how do you know? Like, there's people right now who are listening to this who are sitting in churches that um, are not church plants, but maybe are established churches or maybe, you know, 10-year-old church plants. And their church is in need of revitalization. Like, how do you know? Like, how do you know as a local body, as a, as leaders, as people, how do you know? What are some of the signs of, man, our church isn't okay. There needs to be something done. 
honestly, the metrics are a little crummy. <laughs> it's hard to determine that because oftentimes we think fruitfulness, look at the fruit, equals faithfulness to God's call and plan for a local church. And that can be misleading, sadly, at times. Um, but the metrics, the numbers, usually tell the tale. Mm-hmm. They expose the true narrative. And uh, when a church is plateaued or declining for an extended period of time, then it's time to look around and to check the pulse. But a lot of times church revitalization is prompted by a near church death experience. Yeah. And it provides perspective. We see people who, you know, survive some sort of tragedy yeah. and they've got this new lease on life and that prompts a change in direction. A lot of times that's what's needed for a local church, that near death experience. But for some, it's a long death. It is grueling and without that perspective there's not a chance. Yeah. Um and so with with coming in to a church revitalization, no, maybe not having that language or whatever. For you, what were some of the biggest challenges and and maybe some of the overarching largest challenges for people looking at this because it is kind of a hot button thing now that that you know as church planting has been and all that that this is another way um, to do it, where you don't have to go in and start from nothing. You can go in with something. But what are some of the largest challenges when it comes to this? Personally, as a pastor, you always feel inadequate. You always wonder if you're up for the task. And then you find mm-hmm. out quickly that on your own, the answer is you're not up for the task. And so uh, a simple uh, just bowing to and you know, blending with the Holy Spirit and the grace of God to endure it. Um, personally, that was the thing. Just feeling inadequate. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, collectively, uh, for our church, it's convincing. Mm-hmm. How do you convince a group of people who have been, without even realizing it, caught up in the minutia of um, the slow death, mm-hmm. that there's hope and there's a chance that perhaps God is not, in fact, done with yeah. this local body yet. And so the, the convincing and, and inspiring and equipping your people to uh, get up is, uh, is a little bit of a challenge. And the Holy Spirit does you know, a lot of that, where he comes in and he, and he almost, like in salvation, opens your eyes to your need for the Lord, does the same thing as, oh man, I'm not well. Um, we're 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 sick. We we need help, and I guess the Lord does a lot of that with uh, when it comes to church revitalization. And the Holy Spirit. I mean, it's ultimately it's contingent upon the Lord and the Holy Spirit. Absolutely. Yeah. And yet, in this collision of divine sovereign providence and meaningful human interaction, it's a it's a it's a coin toss. From on the front end, it, it, you, you're just not sure um, yeah. which way it's going to go. But I've been very fortunate that God has been really gracious to Oak City and the people, um, His presence, His Spirit. But the people have really bought in, and they're doing the mission. They're mm-hmm. they they've um, been faithful to do it. And I'm just kind of watching it from the stands, cheering them on. Yeah. 
So still speaking of uh, the challenges of revitalization, is there anything that you remember uh, from your earliest days there? Um, maybe a unique battle that you had to fight in those first few uh, months or years that you would want to share with us to let us in on some of the glories of church revitalization? Well, being a young guy at the time, I, I've spent much of my 30s here, but when I came in, I was uh, in my latter 20s, and obviously there's some insecurity that comes with that on the front end for the minister yeah, for himself. Sure. And attempting to come into a church that was established in the early 40s and had only had one full-time pastor prior to me, and they were still fleshing out what that looked like during his relatively you know, short tenure here, less than a handful of years. Um, so you've got the insecurities that come with it, and then you've got this dynamic where you've got a seasoned group of people mm. and the young guy who... Um, is going to likely encourage change. And so much of the challenges was much of the challenges were how do we make changes not in principle mm-hmm. but in pragmatism in order to maximize our moment. And so asking questions from the pulpit um making some changes in regard to methodological movement. That was the hard part. And so there was early on, there was some pushback and some friction. And it's really difficult. And I don't care who the pastor is. Like, I don't care if people don't like me, but to find out that there are people that don't like you simply because they disagreed with your, um, with your ministry style or mm-hmm. your um, vision for the local church movement was um, that was difficult, and so had some pushback. Yeah. It was relatively yeah. small, but it was enough to uh, lose a couple of nights of sleep. So, oh yeah, I bet any any level of pushback is in that uh, scenario. Uh, but on the other side of things, what are some of the biggest wins that you've seen in your years there? And there's a ton of them, and I think that's part of the Lord's grace to the local body to say, this is evidence that I'm not done with you yet. Mm. Um, We try to measure faithfulness over fruitfulness, right? Let let that be the measuring rod, but the fruitfulness has been, has been really encouraging. We've seen a a couple of hundred baptized in uh, the past eight years. uh, And we've seen disconnected, disenfranchised, uh, one-time church attenders now, vibrant serving members. We've seen mm. um, a press to reach all generations with an emphasis on the generation we're losing, which has been really, really cool. And our seasoned adults are leading the charge in reaching the groups behind them. And uh, um, all those numbers aside, let, let me give you just one quick story of the Kavanaugh's. It's uh, a couple that was coming uh, to our community from up north. They moved in across the street from one of our families that are basically like church stalkers. They will stalk you. They will invite you to death to the local church. And so this 75-year-old couple relented and came to our church 
one Sunday, I got a call the next evening that their house was burning to the ground. Mm. It was a stovetop fire that had their new home and obliterated it. It was just the foundation left. And so our church family really rallied around them. And so my son and I drove to their home. The fire department was still attempting to manage the flames. The lady, Miss Esther, was sitting at the corner of her neighbor's property in a lawn chair watching her home, everything that they owned, disintegrate before her very eyes. Oh, wow. I leaned over and I hugged her. I just met her momentarily the morning before. I leaned over and I whispered into her ear, you can't blame us for this. <laughs> I, I didn't want her to make that correlation. <laughs> I went to your church and now my house is burned down. Well, over the next two years, uh, she came to faith in Christ and her husband, who was um, who was resistant only because he couldn't get past his past, um, and we would sit uh, in their home and talk about the gospel and the beauty of grace. And he would, you know, say, "I'm, I'm at the door," and I would say, "Jim, at the door is out the door." Mm. This is a matter of the work of Jesus, and you couldn't reconcile why we had young moms dying of cancer, and he, who had such a tattered past, could be uh, ushered into the family of God. He just couldn't reconcile that until one day he called uh, two years in, and he said, Pastor, would you come by for a moment? And I sat down in their living room, and Jim said, it's time. I I need to to trust Jesus to be my Savior. Mm. And his wife was in tears, and I said, it's about time, Jim. (laughs) And so (laughs) he trusted Christ there in his living room. And when we baptized him a couple of weeks later at a river location that we do a lot of our baptisms, he said, said, I never thought I'd say this, but I'm so thankful for the fire that brought me to Christ. Wow. Things like that, those sweet winds which always surround the work of God and the life of people. Mm. So I'm grateful awesome. to have experienced uh, lots of those. That's good. <clears throat> you know, and one of the things that with all these stories and the life of a pastor, which is busy and it's filled with people and it's also filled with the word and it's the word is not just something you go to simply enjoy, but it's also your tools in which you use to teach and you do all these things. Um, we ask a question of every one of our guests, and it's this. Uh, what is it that you do to keep in step with the Lord, to continue to stir your affections for the Lord? Because uh, what we've seen in, in talking to a lot of different people is that that changes for people. For some, it's late at night spending time with the Lord. For some, it's out in the woods, and they get up and they walk five miles, and they listen to um, their AirPods and listen to the Bible. They do these things. What are the things that you do to help you keep in step with the Lord in the midst of also pastoring and, and all that kind of stuff. There's a brief preface, and I, it's always funny to me when a pastor uses the word brief because it, it never is. <laughs> it's, in, in fact, when the person tells me, long story short, in my head I respond too late. Anyways, as a preface to the yeah. answer to that question, when I first started in ministry, I was uh, serving at one of our local churches down the road, an established church, and I was given a book from a person who's no longer in ministry. Um, but I was given a book called uh, Running on Empty. And I thought, here I am at the prime of my youthful vigor for all things Jesus. Why in the world do I need a book 
at this end called running on empty. And I would find out quickly that it was providential in its gifting to me. I was very thankful for it. But there's a line in that book that, and I paraphrase, it's been a while since I've read it, but um, there is a large chasm oftentimes between working for God and walking with God. Hmm. And when the former working for God is the priority, then we will lose sight of what it is, the treasure, the richness of walking with God. Yeah. And so for me, it has been, and I've been really clumsy, and it's been clunky along the way in regard to my walking with the Lord, leaning on giftedness more than godliness, right? Trying to, someone questioned the giftedness part, but trying to lean on charisma without core. And yeah. um, those have been the most miserable seasons of my life um, in regards to ministry. But... What's been helpful for me is just that idea, living with as a preface to living for. Mm. And so I have to give myself over to the word and not because I want to. And a lot of people are like, well, if you don't want to, is it like that's feelings and, and I'm yeah. minor inconsistent. I even take a little pill often that helps with that. Um, but instead of like want to, I lean on get to and got to. And that is my motivation. Mm. Get to is gratitude. Like I get to study God's divine revelation. What a gift. I get to be a part of ministry. I get to be the under-shepherd of a local church. I get to be the husband to my wife and the father to my kids. It's gratitude, and so I operate with that. And then got to, like, I know what I become when I don't walk with the Lord, and I'm a yeah. jerk, and I um, am less tender with my wife, and I'm more um, inconsistent as a dad, and um, I'm just a crummy pastor to be around. So... I lean on get to and got to, gratitude and necessity, and I discipline myself to do what I often don't feel like doing, and that is being in the Word. I do it in the morning. and um, Coffee? and Oh, absolutely. <laughs> and, uh, and then I just try to spend time in the Word, listening to it, uh, walking through it throughout the day, and, and then just a constant mindset of prayer. And so, and, and it, I'm, again, I'm not very good at it, but, but the Lord has been gracious in using that. I don't know to, many people who are. Yeah. <laughs> you find me the guy that's really, really good at it. I either want to hang out with him or I don't believe him. Yeah. Well, that's good. That's good. Uh, I read, uh, read a line like that uh, one time that said, I forget where it was, but talking about pastoral ministry, uh, you know, being a marathon and it's like a race or a, you're running through it. And he said, if, if you come to your, to your ministry like a race, if you like to win races, uh, then you're going to get burnt out. But if you just like to run, uh, then you'll be fine. Uh, just keep running and quit trying to win so many races. No, that's good. That's good. And, you know, everybody talks. I think pastors talk about the Monday. Like, th yeah. it doesn't matter what happens on Sunday. The numbers don't kind of jack me up and excite me. It, Mondays are are usually really difficult. And, and that's when it's, I think, it's as essential as any other time is to just press into the Lord because otherwise mm. you don't survive this. I mean, there's now with social media and all, every, you know, failure that is broadcast in lifetime before us of pastors who are flaming out, failing out, or bailing out. Yeah. Um, it is, uh, it, it's absolutely essential because none of us, we're all prone to egotism and narcissism. Like none of us are beyond the scope of failure if we don't walk with the Lord. So it's, yeah. it's essential. And I don't want to be like, I don't That's want good. my kids to look at me like and say, dad, d dad has shamed our family. Like I want mm. my, my goal in life 
and then I'm done. Like my, my goal is at the end of my days, if it's just my wife and my kids, and maybe my grandkids mm-hmm. if I last that long, um, are standing around my grave, and my wife has a thought, even if it's passing, he loved me like Christ loved the church. Mm. If my kids have the the notion pass or scroll through their mind, I believe Jesus is more alive because that man lived. Then yeah. I don't need anything else. I don't need a parade. I mean, I'd I'd like some people to cry at my funeral, and I've made my own <laughs> eulogy, which is a morbid thought. But um, but if the, if I can, if my my family believes, yeah, that I was authentic, and that I walk with the Lord, and they're closer to Him because we've rubbed shoulders for however many years God gave us. Um, then that's the win for me. I just want to finish yeah. well. That's so good. Yeah, that's really good. Um, and I think that's a, I think that's a good place to end um, as we talk about death. Um, no, I think that's a good place to end as we talk about, man, I think that's the hope for all of us is uh, to have a, uh, a legacy that goes beyond us, but also is one wrapped in, and smothered and covered with Jesus. And um, Luke, you got any more questions before we bail out? Nope. I am all good. Okay. Well, um, you know, uh, beep. It's been good to beep. His okay. His name's Chris, but me and my entire family in all of Sevier County call him Beeper, and so that was a slip that I've been uh, that I've called him that name for um, twenty nine years. And so, uh, Pastor Chris, thank you so much uh, for being on the podcast, and you're doing Thanks great for work uh, in at Oak city and, uh, you're doing great work in this community and it's not a church that's on the edge of death anymore. Uh, for you, uh, the listeners being able to see and hear what the Lord's doing here, uh, would greatly encourage you not only in your walk with the Lord, but also maybe where you're at with your church that, uh, the Lord, uh, may not very well be done with your church yet. And so you're more than welcome to check out and see more of, uh, more about, Pastor Chris's church and just see what they do. Um, he's a gifted communicator and he's got great sermons. And so uh, you can check them out at oakcitybc.org and you can check them out and kind of see a little bit of their story. And uh, listen, no matter where you're at, no matter what you're doing, no matter what's uh, going on in life, remember this. Um, maybe you, uh, you uh, your church is doing good, but maybe you, in and of yourself, it's been a difficult season. Just like God seeks to revitalize churches, Uh, He can revitalize you as well. Uh, Don't think that the Lord's counted you out or that you're too far gone. Remember, the Lord loves you and he cares for you. And we hope that this is an encouragement to you, no matter where you're at or where you're listening to this. Uh, We love you guys. We're thankful for you. Thank you as always for all your support. And thanks for listening to Here's the Deal.